I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Lori Sackler, author of The M Word, the money talk every family needs to have about wealth and their financial future. Money. It's still the elephant in every family's living room. Planning for a family's future often prompts a total breakdown in communication, causing lasting damage. Statistics show most families fail to successfully transfer assets from one generation to the next, resulting in not only a loss of assets, but a loss of family harmony. Radio personality and financial advisor Lori Sackler introduces the concept of money talks, mindful conversations that help families communicate dispassionately about money manners through all life's transitions, changes in financial circumstances, remarriage and merging families, retirement, preparing heirs and transferring wealth. She's a certified investment management analyst, a certified financial planner, and the creator and former host of the radio show, The M Word on WOR in New York City. Welcome to the show, Lori. Nice to have you on. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure to be with you today. All right. So we are going to have some mindful conversations about money on the show, right? And find some yes. yeah, actionable solutions. And uh, it is a topic, I think, as I said in the beginning in the intro, it's more difficult somehow for us to talk about money than it is about sex. Not sure why that is. Maybe you can explain that. But it is really a taboo topic in our culture. And you wrote the first book 10 years ago, and now this is a rewrite, uh, an edit. So, uh, well, we're going to, yeah, it's a, it's a second edition. It's, uh, it's updated and it's revised for the current environment we're in post COVID where the need for these talks is even greater. So let's start with that. Why is it greater? Why should we, why is it greater than 10 years ago? Why do we need to talk about money and why can't we seem to be able to do it? Well, it's, it's a taboo topic, right? It's still a taboo, and it continues to be an object of threat and control. And there are a lot of reasons for it. But understanding which ones are playing out in, in your particular family is really, really the most important, because if you don't, as in your introduction, there's a breakdown in family harmony and even a loss of money. The reason why it's so important is the research shows there's a 70% failure rate in transferring wealth across generations. And breakdown in communication and trust is the primary reason and it can result in a lot of um, disharmony. And what I find is in most transitions, there is a, um, a, a potential loss of, of relationships and money because there's not a productive conversation to engage the family members regarding these particular transitions. And, and because today we have a new generations emerging, like the millennials are now the primary um, force in, in the workforce, it's time to kind of open that conversation up because they're not only are they emerging into the workforce and becoming a primary influence in culture, but they're also going to be receiving assets. There's a transition of assets taking place, a huge transition. So in my view, these millennials seem much more savvy. They're much more open to this type of communication. I really want to just get it out to all generations. So there's a lot of cross communication taking place. How much money should you be? How much uh, how much should you be talking to your children about money? I mean, you're talking about millennials, but shouldn't we as families begin to talk to our children before they become adults, before the, the, we have to start this conversation much earlier? And then how do you do it? 
Well, that's absolutely true. And and remember, your kids are watching you. You're messaging to them, even if you do one thing and you say another. So they're learning from your behavior. And a lot of this behavior is is as you know, you're like a, you're a social worker, and you have a you know you have multiple degrees. You understand psychology. A lot of these behavior patterns get passed down through generations, right? So you know, the point is, if your child you know is developing well. I say around the age of 10 is when it's a good time to start introducing that concept. And remember, it's happening in in schools very early now um, where they're talking about money. They're trying to create uh, good money uh, uh, techniques and money values and teaching about principles of money. So it's good to reinforce that at home. And, of course, as the kids get older, that's a whole nother conversation. And so, you know, when your kids are adults and more responsible and ready to process some information, you can start having further inf- further discussions about the personal family finances and sharing some of that information with them. You talk about the personal fi- family finances. What about the personal issues that come into play in each family that prevent them, let's say, from being able to talk about money? Because I would assume that each family is unique. There are some families where it may be easier and others where it's really something we never talk about money. So how do you identify the issues that are getting in your way in your family for, as you say, starting at 10, for talking to your kids at 10 years old about money and finances in your particular family? Well, okay, so let's talk about the unique family histories that take place with different money personalities. And that shapes, in many ways, the ability of families to have these conversations. So I give a whole laundry list of why this is so difficult. So it could be cultural barriers. You know, you may come from a background where, like most of us, money is a taboo. But I I see different cultures where there's more open discussion about it. Family history. Um, You know, some families... I've witnessed this in my practice, have a history of sharing information about money, talking about it openly, whereas others are very closed, very secretive. And of course, there's a lot of issues potentially around control and trust. There could be gender issues that are playing, you know, the differences in the way men and women process information about money, act on money, plan, invest, et cetera. There are physiological differences I have discovered and you know, they're universal, so maybe that's part of what's going on. Maybe it's the marriage politics. Maybe it's the forces of who has the power, who wants the power, who, who's trying to, to, to gain some power. So there, I provide a whole laundry list, but it's, it's just very important for you to work through and think through what are the issues that are preventing your family and start to tackle them. Yeah, I think the key word is think through, and I'm thinking about our society, for instance, our general, this is a generalization, but maybe you can address this, because we still, I think, in certain ways, when it comes to money, we are a patriarchal society. We don't see men and women in positions of power and business and corporations, and I think that trickles down to the families as well, and Mm -hmm. so you have a family with two brothers and one sister or three brothers and two sisters and, you know, sibling rivalry. And how does that play out with the, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you know, look, there are family roles that are, that exist in families, right? Because typically the women are the ones who are the caregivers, the caretakers, and they step into that role when there's a parent who's aging. In a lot of families, the husband, the male gender is still controlling the money. But remember, we're in a society now where women are entering in fact, I think as of now, more women are in the workforce than men, right? So that's changing the balance of power. And we also see more women being educated. 
and entering more uh, high high income producing um, um, uh, you know a profession. So at the end of the day, those are changing issues uh, that marriages and families have to deal with. And I think, um, but but at the same time, you know that patriarchal society that we all envisioned is breaking down, and that is change, which is creating conflict in families at the same time. You talk about in your book the five step action plan. Can we talk mm-hmm. about some of those five steps? What are they? Uh, put a face on them. Right. So you talk with um, the first one is to identify the transition that you're facing, and I think in your opening remarks you identified what I think are the, the top five. You know, changes in financial circumstances, whether it's you know up or down that ladder, remarriage, merging families, retirement, caring for ailing aging parents, and transferring assets. So. Once you, and it could be, you know, it could be a whole, it could be a different um, transition as well. I mean, there's all types of transition. Maybe it's dealing with educating your children or, or maybe there's a big breakup in a relationship. But at the same time, you need to identify what is that transition and that will inform you of the topics, right? There's our topics, uh, financial topics that are, that are associated with all these um, different transitions. And then, of course, the second step is to prepare the inner landscape. That's trying to figure out what are the factors that are interfering with your family having this conversation and having money talks. Prepare the outer landscape. That's literally how to prepare for the conversation. And I walk you through, you know, the who, what, when, where, why, and how, you know, who needs to be engaged in this conversation, you know, what's the transition, you know, when is the best time? Certainly not during a holiday season when everybody's stressed out. You know, where maybe it's a third party location where it doesn't bring up a lot of stress. And then, of course, why is it so important? Maybe mom and dad are starting to age and you see some medical issues that are popping up. You know, that is a common topic that a lot of people need to to to, to, uh, to do address. And of course, you know, the why is very important because there is a potential loss of money in relationships. And then, of course, how do we best? So I, I try to give some examples. And, you know, what I also want to make sure that people understand it is when you go to this how, you need to think about how you're going to address conflict, how you're going to resolve it. And then that brings into the fourth step, which is what I call asking for help. And of course, if there is going to be conflict around these topics and in and inevitably there there is going to be conflict, you might want to add a third party to the conversation, somebody who's a friend, a, a professional, could be the accountant, attorney, financial advisor, could be a social worker, could be a, a counselor somebody has, um, you know, has hired to help with these conversations. But at the end of the day, having a third party will help you resolve conflict, help you keep the conversations on track, and in my view, will lead to a better, more successful outcome. And then the fifth step is what I call repeat as necessary. And so think about it. Everyone is different. You pointed out every family is different. All individuals are different. But coming up with a process that works for you and like even going through therapy, it's not a one-time discussion, right? If there's some conflict going on, for example, between a couple, it's multiple sessions. So you want to think through a thoughtful and disciplined process and make sure that you repeat it until you get to the outcome that you're seeking. Uh, different different family members have different needs, and obviously that's what you've been talking about. But I, I was thinking yeah. a friend of mine just asked me, and this is kind of a, a topic that comes up quite frequently, mm-hmm. and and uh, 
this is sort of a middle-aged couple and thinking about and their children and they have several children, but each one of the children, for instance, has different needs. Some of the children mm-hmm. themselves make a lot of money. Uh, one of the kids doesn't mm-hmm. make any money. Uh, and, you you know, mm-hmm. there's a list of, of the different needs that the different the kids have. And how do you handle that so that you want to be fair to your kids? Or yes, this is, yeah. it, it, exactly. I think all parents come to the table with that notion. They love their children. They want to treat them equally. They want to be fair. Oftentimes, that's not the case. And and you bring up a very good point. You know, every kid in that family is going to have a different economic outcome, you know, based on the, the choice of career, you know, the amount of education they get, and then um, and who they may partner with in life. All those factors create a different economic outcome. And of course, at the end of the day, kids want to be treated equally. And what I have found is it's best to enter that conversation with the thought of equality. If you for example, have a special needs child who obviously may need, because of the circumstances, you know, special treatment financially, then you need to disclose it to your kids, right? So to avoid fighting about all of this, and we see a lot of fights that result from inequitable distributions, you need to have plenty of conversations to explain why you're doing this. Look, it may just be a different uh, cash flow need for one over the other during their lifetime, and you could make that up in the will, but the provision... But if you don't, obviously, you need to explain to the children why you're doing this, because what I find is the will is the ultimate um, reflection of I love you, right? And if the kids are treated differently, regardless of their age or economics, they're going to feel uh, that, that they're not going to feel good about it. And that, um, that inequity is going to pass. It's going to pass through multiple generations. That's what I see. It can really break up harmonies in family. So my my objective uh, is to really help people understand the importance of openness and transparency and disclosure. So communication, 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 and you have to overcome those roadblocks within your own family that prevent you from communicating. And I guess the word I hear, truth and honesty, and don't Mm -hmm. pretend and do it before they open up your will and find, oh, my God, what did they do? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's how a lot of families actually see what, you know, that will may have been drafted years before and there's been no communication and it can be a shock at that reading. So that's, that is something you really want to try to avoid. And, you know, I also say that if you're going to uh, keep harmony in the family, you're going to want to talk to the kids about the roles and responsibilities. Um, someone may be jealous over Susie being picked as trustee over Sally. And, you know, so maybe you settle on some co-trustees. I mean, the roles and responsibilities are one thing. It's like helping them understand, give them some idea of what they might receive. And if it's a significant sum, maybe they need to address it with their, with their advisors. But at the end of the day, there needs to be some dialogue about this, the very least where the documents are, what roles people are playing. And of course, if you can help prepare them for those roles, because you will have a better outcome. And if you have that plenty of that conversation, you know, and and more communication and more communication, you will have a more successful outcome. Another example, I'm thinking of families that uh, you may have siblings who don't have children and siblings Mm -hmm. who do. So then you've got the third generation of grandchildren. How do you handle that? I mean, giving uh, monies to grandchildren of one of your kids when one of your other kids doesn't even have grandchildren. How do you, how do you do that? Well, you know, there are different ways of dealing with that. You can, you can send the money per uh, child rather than 
you know, irrespective of grandchildren. You can decide to divide it up across. I mean, there are there are a lot of ways to divide up this pie. But if someone is going to feel left out because they chose not to have children or maybe they're not going to get a similar amount, that can create conflict. So you're going to need to talk about that and make sure that you figure out a game plan that will keep the family intact. I, you know, I think the most important objective is to keep the family harmony and make sure that the next generations don't carry the baggage that you may have left behind. Another I think this is another big issue. Um, let's talk about this one because people are living longer. So you have mm-hmm. mom and dad yes. living to be 85 and they still need monies to keep mm-hmm. them alive or be taken care of. And each one of the siblings has a different idea about how much they want to spend or the way they want to spend mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about that one because I think that is an issue that's going to get but pro- bigger. You know, it's, it's, it's here, but uh, as people live into their 90s, for instance, it's going to be well, a, yeah, people, a challenge. Definitely yeah. people are living longer, right? And a lot of concerns um, is, you know, will I have enough, right? Um, because of that life expectancy situation, and, and I always obviously recommend that they speak to an advisor to think through the financial plan on that. But, but look, when you bring, ultimately, as people decline in health or their, men, their mental acuteness, deteriorates, they're going to need to bring people in to help them. And that's my recommendations. You have a conversation about this before mom goes into the hospital or has a cancer diagnosis. I mean, I feel like you have to plan ahead and think about it and then have conversations with your kids. I mean, typically what happens, there's somebody in the family that can handle, help handle the finances. There may be another person who's geographically local who can step in and help on the the day-to-day operations and caring for the, the needs of the, of the parents. And, you know, we are in a very um, geographically diverse uh, culture. And so location of where these parents are going to end up is very important, too. Will they be in a place where they'll be near a, a family member or a close friend that can oversee? oversee their needs. But I think, you know, if a child is starting, an adult child is starting to see their parent uh, start to disintegrate, you know, that's a very sensitive conversation to approach, right? But my sense is, you know, you want to put yourself in their shoes. You don't want to approach it with the idea that, oh, there's all this money, or maybe there's not enough money. You want to talk about what are their needs and what are their concerns? You know, are there concerns about how will they take care of themselves? Are they worried about losing control? You know, who can they trust? Maybe there's concerns about a member of the family that they're worried about. Maybe there's some mental and emotional issues that they're concerned. I think, you know, look, that's why, in my view, bringing in a third party is so helpful because they can sort of break down the components of the family members without the bias and I think are better suited to help people tackle these topics. And there are plenty of professionals that you know about that can intercede and become a coach or a, or a case manager. But yeah, it's complicated. And uh, you definitely want to, but you definitely want to convey to the parents that it's all about them, not about you. And I think uh, that's the best tone to, you know, to start the conversation with. Laura, you, you need to develop a six week training program. That would just be something automatically somebody can just tap into. This is the training program. This is what you need yeah. to know. These are the issues and this is how you can handle them. And if people need further help and coaching, as you described it, great. Um, but, but I think that really is key. One thing you, you, I want to just go back to that you sort of touched on is that, um, each one of the 
siblings who are taking care of, say, the aging parents, I think have to look to themselves and what's the best skill I have to offer. Like you said, if you one Yes, kid, I agree. One, one person yes. may be living next to the parent, another person mm-hmm. may not, but they have certain skills that you can do on Zoom, you can do over, I mean, we have all these, yes. you know, access to uh, communication. So uh, everybody has to take a look at their own skill and how they can help and maybe not try to all hone in on the same issue. I think that's, to me, that's important. Yeah, you know, I, it's a division of labor, right? Yeah, division of <laughs> labor, exactly. And who has the best skill set? That's That would be my approach. You know, oftentimes family members have favorites or maybe they've gotten used to, you know, uh, Jimmy being in charge of the finances when, you know, Susie has a degree in finance. She's working for a bank and she's got all that skill. So, you know, but at the end of the day, we, we all want to bring our, our rational self to the conversation. And yes, there has to be an agreement. I remember when I wrote my first book, there was a lawyer in Oregon who reached out to me. He's got five siblings. Um, the, the father had passed away. The mother was ailing. And he, 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 bought, he bought my book. He shipped it out, you know, copies to everybody. And he arranged for a meeting, right? So my recommendation is think through an agenda, have somebody help coordinate and orchestrate the meeting, and then bring on that agenda all the issues and who's going to take on which role and which responsibility. And you just put it together. And, of course, as you said, with Zoom and and, you know, FaceTime and all these other uh, computer opportunities to communicate through, you know, it's not as difficult as it once was, right? So people are free to do a lot more with one another rather than being in person to take care of things. And I also think each person has to, maybe this is the social work perspective, but you have to really mm-hmm. be in tune with what your issues are. Let's say that, that you're taking care of aging parents or or, or whomever, because there are those I, we call them triggers, right? And you're mm-hmm. talking about something and it has to do with money, but then all of a sudden it has to do with a lot of other family mm-hmm. dynamics and be aware of what yes. those triggers are uh, with yes. whomever you're talking to in the family, right? Yeah, that, that is really <laughs> a really great point because there are trigger points with each person. And in an ex- one of the examples I, 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 I offer is you have to walk into that room and understand what those trigger points are. So um, just recently I did uh, a money talk with a client who has an adult daughter who is a lawyer and very competent. And the mom was um, going, you know, she had been divorced about 10 or 15 years and was maintaining the same lifestyle that she'd been on with her husband and who had made a nice living and she participated in, and so she was going through assets. The daughter was concerned, and she wanted to have a money talk. And of course, she approached her mom. Her mom resisted, but eventually, I got her on board. We did this conversation, and I have to tell you, it's a typical. It was a typical conversation because there was baggage that came up. There were trigger points. Oh, I lent you this money, you know, and you didn't pay me back in full. And, you know, I educated you with this money and, you know, like you have to have someone on track to kind of work through the trigger points, get people back on on track and, uh, you know, help them stay focused on, you know, what are we trying to accomplish here? And let's 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 work together on that, because that's the most important issue today. So I that's why I think third parties are really, really important, because these conversations can break down so quickly. Let's get back to the couples when they start out. What when should mm. couples should couples have a money talk before they're married? Uh, or 
Yeah. Well, let's start with, you know, they're in love and everybody's, yeah, okay. you know, so that, that Cinderella, is, no, but it, we know that doesn't exist. And so let's be practical. Uh, don't they need to have a money talk? Yes, they do. And I would say full disclosure and transparency should be the objective. And look, money is central to everyone's lives. And think about it. You have been dealing with money on your own for a number of years. Now you're going to merge with another person. And remember, there are going to be different assets. There are going to be liabilities, uh, expenses that you need to think about. And of course, you want to disclose the assets and fully disclose the liabilities. You want to talk about how you're going to merge or separate your assets, how you're going to, you know, how you're going to spend. Where, where is that, you know, from a practical standpoint, how is that going to happen? And then I, I always say you have to go deeper. What are your values? What are your goals? Talk about your family history with money. I mean, you know, you could have come from a family, uh, one of the members of the partnership could come from a family where there was a lot of spending going on. And so their reaction is to uh, be fearful about uh, the future. Some, another one may have come from a very uh, rational, thoughtful money history where they knew how to save, spend, and and invest in a reasonable way and, and, and create goals and meet them. So you literally have to merge these family histories and cultures. And, you know, my sense is you really have to put it out there in a very transparent and open way because the best relationships, you probably have seen this, the best relationships are those where there's openness and transparency. And as a financial advisor, when I see them having a solid relationship about finance, that's typically a predictor that that's a pretty good relationship in other ways and, uh, you know, the high probability of success. So, yeah, so the idea is when you enter a marriage, which I don't think was always the case um, in, in previous generations, but I do see the, the Gen X and the millennials much more willing to do this. But, yes, have those conversations and put it all out there to discuss. I mean, the wedding, uh, we only have a couple minutes less, I mean, the, left, but the, the wedding is all about the money. I think the average couple spends yes. $20,000 yes. on a wedding and it, and it goes upwards from there. So it's maybe that's a good jumping off point. How you gonna Well, manage you know, it's interesting. My son just got married six months ago. So you do see the family money personalities. You know, there's, I have a whole section on that. You know, we come with this money personality, yeah. how we and how we acquire, how we use it, how we manage it. And of course, weddings are a great example of seeing that. So you get a pretty good sense of where those family members are and how they want to deploy their, their money and what they value. And, you know, it's, but that's just one of multiple examples that you are obviously going to go through in a marriage and you're going to have to negotiate how you're well, going to spend. They, and I, I hate to interrupt you, yeah. but well, they have you, your son and daughter-in-law, so uh, they they should be pretty good, right? They have the expert in the family. Well, but know, I want to, I, I just, yeah, I want to mention the book yeah. because we do have the M word is the title of the book, yeah. and the money talk every family needs to have about wealth and their financial future. And I've been talking to Lori Sackler, and there's so much more to talk about. So, Lori, just give us a website and places that we can go to get more information right, about right. the book. So and you. I yeah. have a website called the mword.com where you can see, you know, a lot of the commentary about the book. You can read about the books. This is one of three and uh, it'll have a link to Amazon. You can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can Google me, Lori Sackler and learn more about me in multiple ways. So yeah, I just really appreciate being on your show and you, you asked such great conversation. It was a great dialogue. It was, thank well. you. It was great having you on the show and uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks. Oh, thanks for having me.
I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm.